Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. This week, we're pulling out all the stops for a super special episode, that very round and momentous number 100. We'll also find out if Alexandra Stafford's very special bagel put a smile on our faces in the mornings. And we'll introduce a sweet potato pie inspired by the godmother of soul herself, Miss Patti LaBelle. Finally, no celebration is complete without a party, so we'll also review preheated listener favorites, and Stefan and I will each award our season two blue ribbons. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, it's officially our 100th episode, our second anniversary. Last year on this date, we were actually together. You were here in London. I know. It was so much fun. We were going to Fortnum and Mason and having tea, and we spent that wonderful day at the Borough Market. I will never forget that. I was thinking of you today, actually. I was just at Fortnum's, and then I am signing up for a class at Borough Market. I know you'll be interested. It is an edible gifts class later this month. So I hope to sign up for that and we'll let you all know because it looks fascinating. It's everything from some savory bread to some infused oils and then some candies and sweets as well. So I'm really looking forward. I, I hope there's room and we'll report back on that. But I knew you would have loved to be there at Borough Market for that as well. Oh, I would have. I remember they have that bread school right Mm -hmm. when we walked in. But it sounds like this class is maybe more um, something sponsored by the entire market. And maybe we'll pull from different uh, vendors and different sort of products. Yeah, exactly. So on a rotating basis throughout every month of the year, actually, they have ongoing classes. And some are ticketed and some are kind of drop in. And at holiday time, they really ramp them up. So they have one whole night, Andrea, that is a cheese festival. And... (laughs) That Um, also sounds wonderful. Get that on the calendar now. (laughs) So this one caught my eye just because, of course, I love making edible gifts. And there were some on there that I might not have considered on the more savory side. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Mm, I can't wait to hear about that. And what a fun way to celebrate another big event that's coming up. I don't know, maybe you'll take a class or maybe not. But you, my friend, have a birthday coming up. I do have a birthday, November birthday month. Yes. So happy birthday to you. I know it's always so much fun. Thank you very much. What about a cake? Have you thought of this important decision or did you wait until the last minute (laughs) like I did? Oh, yeah. No, this this was decided like in (laughs) July. So uh, my husband and my daughter are going to be making me a chocolate cake with my all-time favorite peanut butter frosting. It is Ina Garten's peanut butter frosting. And I think it is from her foolproof or how easy is that cookbook. You know, I have so many of her books, it kind of bleeds together. But the key to this peanut butter icing is that you need to have Jif peanut butter. I make no concessions on that. So they're (laughs) going to have to go to the American food store and get a big thing of Jif and come home and make it. So 
it's one of those cakes where the cake, it's good. It's it's a kind of a basic but delicious chocolate cake, but the cake's kind of the carrier for the peanut butter frosting, which is oh, so like that. good. That does sound good. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. how fun. And is it a layer? Is it, you know, your traditional like two or three layer cake? Yes, although it's a really nice and forgiving cake. You can make it in like a nine by 13. You could make two eight inch rounds, that kind of a thing. So Ooh, I can't wait to see that. Maybe you can post some pictures in our Facebook group. Yeah, yeah. If I don't eat it all first, we'll have to well, make sure. sure the icing gets on the cake. So. <laughs> well, Andrea, speaking of celebrations, we also want to have a reminder that you and I are guest starring on another podcast. It is Brian Earle's podcast called Christmas Past. And this is a seasonal podcast, Andrea. He just actually restarted in November. So he's still figuring out the schedule. But we think that is going to air on or around November 25th. So just be watching our Facebook community and listening back. We will be sure to tell you when we are on talking about our beloved fruitcake. Yes, indeed. And if you subscribe to Christmas Past Podcast, of course, you'll get the update automatically. So true. That might be a safer way to do it. We can't wait to hear how that one turns out. I know. Up this week, we are going to review our Very Good Bagels, Easy-ish <laughs> 2, from Alexandra Stafford. We introduced this recipe last week and told everyone that we have enjoyed cooking from Alexandra Stafford in the past. We made her My Mother's Peasant Bread, and that's been kind of a revelation of how easy it is to make a loaf of bread to get on your table at dinner time, don't you think, Steph? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very fast. Very delicious. We were both hoping that this bagel recipe might be similar. I had a a fantasy of being able to whip it up in the morning, but alas, uh, it does require (laughs) a 12-hour or longer rise. (laughs) So it's not something you're whipping up. My experience with this was similar to the my mother's peasant bread in that I really loved this recipe. Yeah. I like the way she writes her recipes. I like the way Everything is laid out. Again, it's a well-ordered recipe. So I just wanted to put that out front that I think it's a really well-done recipe. I do too. And I think it's important on this recipe to read the comments. There were several really thoughtful comments, including the one that made the most impact on me. So the rise is a 12-hour rise. But if you notice, it says 12 hours or longer. And the day Mm -hmm. I had set aside to make these bagels, 12 hours didn't work. At the end of 12 hours, it wasn't a convenient time for me to complete the rest of the steps. But I did a 24-hour first rise, and it worked beautifully. So if 12 hours doesn't fit in your schedule, you can go longer with no ill effects that I can see. That's so funny. I had the same thing happen. Okay. I I made mine on a Friday. I thought I would make them Saturday afternoon. I didn't get around to it on Saturday or Sunday. I made them Monday morning. Okay. So um, I can't do the math quickly enough to say how many hours that was, but I would say it was a good two-day rise in the fridge. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, the 12 hours is a nice time period if, say, you put them in before you went to bed. You know, maybe Uh about, what would that be, maybe 9 o'clock at night, something like that. Then you would have um, a rise to be able to do them in the morning. Because the second part of this did come together fairly quickly. And I'm with you, Andrea. This recipe is so well written. And the, the comments and the video and other things that she links to in this recipe were really, really helpful. You form, true. you form the dough, and again, it, from the comment section, I learned that once those are formed, you kind of push your thumb in and do a twisty motion almost, and she says, don't be gentle. Like, you really need to twist that. Otherwise, what happens is the dough springs back into shape, and you have like a ball, but not a bagel with the hole in the middle. 
Yeah, you have more of a, a knot instead of a bagel. Yeah, and exactly. I watched the video. I okay, don't know if yes. you did that, but I really wanted to see how she sort of pushed that dough out. I did want to add one of the funniest things that I thought in the videos. Um, her videos are definitely like just like a video you or I would make, right? It's her in yeah. her kitchen. You can hear her kids in the background, you know, that sort of thing. And, of course, there's one part of the recipe that requires – careful attention. And that is when you're boiling yeah. the dough. So you're dropping the dough rings into the boiling water and doing 30 seconds on each side. And of course, that is the exact moment in the video where you hear her kids say like, Mom, can you help me? <laughs> da, 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 da. And so I was laughing so hard because I was like, of course, yes. if you're going to have a recipe that spans 12 hours and tons of unattended time, when are your kids going to interrupt you? Uh-huh. During the 30 seconds yes. when you need to be paying attention. <laughs> when you're dealing with boiling water. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, that was so funny. So I was happy to know that you can shape the bagels and then stick them back in the fridge, which I did. So they had just a little chill out time again for about an hour. And then I went ahead and boiled them. You boil them in hot water, obviously, with a little, she calls for barley malt syrup. I didn't have that. I used maple syrup. Andrea, exactly what is that for? I used maple syrup as well. Okay. I, I mentioned in last week's episode that I had seen barley malt syrup at my co-op. Right. And when I went to pick it up, I went to the area that I thought it would be. I didn't see it. I asked the people at the counter, and they agreed with me that they knew that I was what I was talking about and that they had at one time stocked it, okay. but they no longer did for whatever reason. So I'm not sure why the barley malt syrup, unless it imparts a particular flavor that's maybe a little bit better with bagels, especially if you're doing more of the savory type. And maybe you would be worried about the sweetness from a maple syrup. But I use maple syrup and I didn't notice it to have any sort of particular sweetness. No, I didn't either. And I thought it worked great. So then you just boil those for 30 seconds per side, take them out, put them to dry off a little bit on a tea towel. At that point, if you want to add something like poppy seeds, sesame seeds, that's uh, two that I did, then you would do a slight egg wash, put those seeds or condiments on top, and pop them into your oven. I loved those toppings, except I want to offer a caution. I thought salted, sea salted would be good, but I added way too much salt. So (laughs) don't act for salt like you act for poppy seeds. You know, just a sprinkle of salt, whereas you might want a real robust amount of poppy seed. Just to learn the – I just sprinkled it off. I just scraped it off. It was no problem in the end, but the first bite, I was like, whoa. Whoa. (laughs) That's really Uh, salty. I did sesame seeds and poppy seeds as well. I was going to do the everything bagel seasoning. I know they used to sell that at Trader Joe's, but I didn't get around to that uh, particular store that day. So I like sesame seeds and poppy seeds. I think both of those are a lot of fun. I also wanted to point out when I got to my dough and started forming my pieces, I did have 860 grams total. Mm -hmm. And so I made eight bagels and each one I weighed and it was between 105 and 110 grams. And I wanted to bring that up because I had mentioned before, my daughter really loves bagels. I usually buy a sleeve of six and she has one almost every day. And if she doesn't, a lot of times I'll have one. And the problem I've run into with commercial bagels is that 
If you get the ones that taste-wise are more artisan or really good and fresh and bakery, mm-hmm. they're huge. Mm, okay. If you get the ones that are smaller, oh, you know, maybe just your, I don't know, let's say Sarah Lee, okay, plain right. white bagel or whatever. They're they're smaller and I like that size, but those don't have very much flavor. No, they're more just like a dough but not a bagel dough almost. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. yes. And so I was so happy with this recipe because of the size it made. Yeah. for me. I now know that a perfect size for me is about 100 to 105 <laughs> gram bagel. And that way I get the flavor that I want and the size that I want. So that was really exciting for me. I like that too. And mine cooked up in about 20 minutes in that oven. I do have a convection oven or a fan oven and that does bake a little faster. But I would just encourage you to keep an eye on that. They were definitely evenly golden all around. I was just, I had so much fun with this recipe because they looked so professional. They looked so perfect. And that just really tickled me. Yeah, I I don't have a confection oven. Well, that's not true. I I have a convection oven, but I don't know how to use it. Okay. So I don't yeah. use it. Yeah. So on a regular bake, she says 20 to 25 minutes. I set it for 20 minutes. They definitely weren't done. I set it for 25 there were a few that were brown, but not all of them. Okay. And so I ended up going to 27 minutes okay. to get them, you know, evenly golden all around, like she says. So um, as far as taste, the first one I had out of the oven, I went with the poppy seed, and I thought it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was one of the best things I'd ever had. <laughs> wow. Uh, I know. But then I decided that I needed to be fair to all of the bagel makers of the world because I thought, well, of course it's better than anything I've ever had because when is hot bread Mm. fresh out of the oven not as good as bread you've bought in the grocery store? So I went ahead and I let them, you know, completely cool down and I sliced them and I packaged them and I put some in the freezer and I put some in the fridge. And then I proceeded. So on day two, I had one of the ones from the refrigerator and I still am giving it big thumbs up. It was still way heads and shoulders better than a purchased bagel. And then this morning, I pulled it out. So now we're looking at, you know, at least a week, um, because of course, I bake ahead before we record. And so it's been frozen for a week, I let it defrost and ate it. And again, still better than a purchased bagel, although not as good as fresh out of the oven or one day old, obviously. Yeah, I thought these had a perfect chewy texture and they toasted beautifully as well. The taste was dynamite. You can taste that Mm -hmm. yeast in a way that sometimes commercial prepared bagels can't. And I really liked that. I thought they were beautiful. I was just I was just thrilled with these. My family loved them. We even did Mm -hmm. a Friday morning bagel bar. Oh, fun. We don't usually eat that kind of fancy or right, involved on a, on a school morning. But I was like, no, we're going to do it. And we got the cream cheese and the lox and the capers and red onion and tomato and everything. And it was really fun and delicious. I loved making eight. I had mine as well with 105 grams. I thought it was the perfect size, not too big, not too small. Once again, I mean, super fun to make, super delicious results. Once again, Alexandra's hit it out of the park as far as I'm concerned. I agree. And I wanted to add people – 
don't limit yourself to having these as breakfast. I think these also make really great sandwiches, and I've been using them in lunch. There's something fun about eating a sandwich on a bagel or Mm -hmm. for some reason like on a hike. I I think it's because it's so more easily contained in your hand. Yeah, Yeah. and it's like you can hold it in one hand. So, you know, if you're sitting on a log and you're balancing your water bottle and everything, there's just something about being able to hold this bagel in your hand with, you know, your, your meat and your cheese and your lettuce and your onion and all that good stuff. And I I just love it. So I want you to consider using your bagels for more than just breakfast. I love it. I will. Maybe that's a 2019 baking eating resolution. Who knows? (laughs) Well, coming up this week in our bake-along is hopefully another smashing success. It is a sweet potato pie from a blog that is new to us. It's called What's Gabby Cooking? And Gabby is inspired by none other than Patti LaBelle's sweet potato pies. Apparently, Andrea, this is news to me. Miss Patty LaBelle has a raging frozen sweet potato pie business. I have I know. not ever had one of her pies. <laughs> this was all brand new information. Have you? No, I haven't. And actually, part of the reason I was interested in this recipe is I fully admit I have always been suspicious of celebrity baked goods. Yeah, rightly so. Um, Right. You know, and I I can't necessarily figure out the appeal of them either. I mean, is it people are saying, oh, my gosh, Patti LaBelle is such a talented singer and such a busy woman. If she can also make... (laughs) A pie that's really amazing. It must be the best pie ever. I don't but know. Wow. My other my other thought is is that people would sort of say the flip side of it of like, well, Patty LaBelle's such an amazing singer and she's such a busy woman that um, I mean, at least she tried, you know. And here's this <laughs> nice pie. I don't know. I just celebrity recipes have never really grabbed me, but this particular one grabbed me because I have eaten tons of sweet potato pie mm-hmm. in my life, but I've never made it. Mm-hmm. And I love the picture on what's Gabby Cooking website and the way that she did it with the pretty little sort of cutouts on top of the pie I thought were really beautiful. Yes. I love that she uses leaf lard in the pie crust. You know, that's my favorite. If you can't get leaf lard, you can use Crisco or you can just use all butter instead of half leaf lard and half butter. So I'm super excited to try this. And I love sweet potatoes. I mean, we eat them all the time as, you know, a side dish at dinner. So I don't know why I've never made a sweet potato pie. I think because I just tend to default to pumpkin. I think that's it, too. I've eaten them. I enjoy them. We also eat a lot of sweet potatoes. But when it comes down to it at holiday time, I go with pumpkin, which I also love. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm excited to try this one also. I will be using the Crisco variation because leaf lard, a little bit harder for me to track down here. But otherwise, uh, you know, looks like a great filling. It's got all of those delicious fall spices of cinnamon, nutmeg, some brown sugar in there. That's that's nice. Mm-hmm. Some heavy cream and eggs, white sugar. And then she calls for two large sweet potatoes that she claims will be about one and three quarter pound. But I just wanted to offer a caution that down in the Uh, instructions for this recipe, she asks you to have two and a half cups Mm -hmm. of puree. Now, whether a one and three quarter pound equals two and a half cups might be a challenge. So I might uh, err on the side of cooking three pounds or two pounds of sweet potato just to have some extra in case because those are kind of apples and oranges things she's comparing there. And I don't want to be caught out. Yeah, that's a good idea. And you know, if you have leftover I would like to add that dogs love sweet potato. (laughs) 
Yeah. You can pop it into your dog food. Or, of course, you could make, you know, mashed sweet potatoes for dinner that night or something like that. But I think that's a really good idea. Yeah, you don't want to be short um, when you get to that step where you need the two and a half cups. Yeah, absolutely. Also, she doesn't specify a pie size, but now that I know my Pyrex glass pie dish is 9.5, I'm going to be using that one and Mm -hmm. uh, going from there. So really looking forward. There is a little resting time with the chilled dough. So just make sure you read that and are working that in. Andrea, do you remember when we did um, shoe fly pie back in pie month last February? We did Alton Brown, and he has some really good best practices for blind baking, which is what you're doing here when you when you cook that crust a little bit beforehand. Do you remember? I do, and I'm really glad you brought that up because you know step six in the instructions is blind bake the pie dough for 15 yeah. minutes. And yeah. that might send some people into a little bit of a panic. So um, you could go back to our shoe fly pie episode to listen to blind baking. And then I want to throw in the reminder from listener Andrea, who has yeah. taught us about placing sugar in your pie pan when you do your blind bake instead of baked beans or pie weights. And then you end up with this toasted sugar that you can use in other dishes. So that's yeah. what I'm planning on doing. You read my mind. I do that now, and I have the most beautiful blind bakes of my life. Mm-hmm. It's it's truly revolutionary. Yeah, you put the parchment and then the sugar. You can use that sugar several times, and yeah. you can then bake with it or just use it for your, your pies, but it's a great filling. And I like it because it gets really into all of the crevices, and I think that does a better job than using beans or pie weights, which are a little too big for that. I agree. Yeah, you don't end up with those little puffy pieces. So it's really nice. And then you have this great secondary product that you get to use. So it's perfect. So that was the Very Good Bagels Easy-ish 2 from Alexandra Stafford. And this week's Bake Along is the Sweet Potato Pie inspired by Miss Patty LaBelle. And that's on whatsgabbycooking.com. We will have links to both of those in the show sheet for this episode, which is episode 100 up on our website preheatedpodcast.com bake along and post your pics well Stefan, as you just mentioned the long-awaited day has finally arrived and here we are celebrating episode 100 can you believe it <laughs> um hardly who knew turning 100 would feel so great it sure does and we barely have any wrinkles <laughs> Now, um, some of our listeners have been along with us from the very beginning, and so it's time to find out their most beloved recipe from the first 100 episodes. That's right. It was so much fun to see what people enjoyed, and I admit it was a little surprising as well. I know. It seems like some listeners like a recipe that surprises them or intrigues them. Some are excited to have a new way of making an old favorite, and others just go with the one that their families have requested regularly. Right. So speaking of that, let's start with listener Carolyn, who mentioned sugar cookie bars. That was in episode 44, and she said those are always requested in her house. Oh, yes. That is a family favorite for sure. And um, it still cracks me up that you were inspired to try that recipe because you were missing your grocery store loft house (laughs) cookie fix when you moved to London. (laughs) Yeah, the London grocery stores aren't exactly uh, pulling out the day glow sugar cookies every holiday. A missed opportunity as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Indeed. Uh, Andrea, your favorite, though, speaking of London, was the lemon drizzle cake from episode 45, and that made an appearance. Uh, Listeners Marissa, Karen, and Lydia voting for that one. 
Yeah, my sweet lemon drizzle. I do love that one. And it has made many appearances at my house. And it is still my daughter's favorite and her number one most requested. But it's not all cakes and cookies around here. Listener Lauren found my mother's peasant bread from episode 67 to be a bit of a revelation, which absolutely delighted me. And I do think it truly speaks to Alexandra Stafford's intent, which was to give people an easy and quick way to make delicious tasting bread at the end of every single day. Yeah, I mean, what a goal. And we just had those bagels, obviously a big hit. And I just recently made two loaves of the peasant bread myself again. Mm, Yum. I love how listener Ruth, down in Florida, snuck in two votes by mentioning one sweet and one savory. (laughs) Her sweet was the strawberry buttermilk ice cream from episode 30, and her savory went to Deb Perlman's jalapeno cheddar scones from episode 23 during Breakfast Bakes Month. Yay for savory bakes. You know that warmed my heart. I know. Uh, And speaking of savory, your very own husband nominated that delicious butterscotch curry pie from episode 62. And I'm sure if my husband was on Facebook, he would have seconded that motion. Um, Having the curry and the fennel seeds in the crust was such a surprising addition. And that filling was just so beautifully smooth and luscious. It was Mm -hmm. so delicious. Yeah, that is on my list to make again and will be making a repeat appearance, I'm sure, very soon. And that's not the only pie that got our listeners baking. Indeed not. Way back in episode 14, we featured a totally Biscoff pie, which was the award-winning pie in the amateur division of the National Pie Contest back in 2016. This pie is so totally over the top. It has Biscoff cookies in the crust and (laughs) and Biscoff cookie butter spread in the filling, in the frosting, and in the truffles on top. When I think back to making that, it was my first experience using Biscoff in baking, and wow, I have never looked back. That is a staple now in my home. Same here, and I know we're not alone. Uh, Listeners Amy, Kristen, Linda, and Carolyn all put in a vote for this amazing pie, so it really does seem this pie is not just an award-winning pie in the National Pie Bake Off, but also in preheated listeners' world. I've never doubted our listeners' good taste. (laughs) (laughs) And so now on to our favorites. Stefan, it is time to award our second season Blue Ribbons. This is the award we're each giving to the recipe from episodes 50 through 99 that captured our imagination. And I have to say, it was pretty hard to choose just one. Oh, me too. So... When I scrolled through the last year of bake-alongs, I was struck by how many types of desserts we've tackled. Pies, cakes, puddings, steamed puddings, ice creams, no-bakes, royal favorites. Andrea, it has been quite a year. And that makes choosing just one so difficult because they are not easy to compare. Do I choose based on taste alone? Based on how much fun they were to make? Based on how much I learned? I tried to combine all of those criteria and came up with these favorites. Okay. Walk down memory lane. Homemade English toffee, episode 56. Gingerbread cookie bars, 57. Classic cream puffs, 59. London fog shortbread, 61. Moist chocolate cake, 62. Shoe fly pie, 65. No need peasant bread, 67. Hot buttered soft pretzels, 68. Coconut tapioca with mango lime sauce, 72. Lemon elderflower wedding cake, 76. Prince Harry's caramel banana cake, 77. 
Simple Chocolate Ice Cream, 80, Lemon Crunch Bars, 85.5, Classic Peach Pie, 91, Tray Baked Berry Plum Meringue, 92, and Pumpkin Cookies or Cupcakes with Caramel Frosting, (laughs) 97.5. Such a delicious list, right? It sounds like a radio call list. 97.5. I mean, if I were going to compile a list of dessert must-haves for someone new to baking, this list would be a great starting point because it has it all from candy to meringue to bread. But 16, way too many, I know. So okay. then I narrowed that down to six that I have already made more than once. Okay. And I came up with gingerbread cookie bars, moist chocolate cake, no-need peasant bread, Prince Harry's caramel banana cake, simple chocolate ice cream, and pumpkin cupcakes with caramel frosting. Okay. But Andrea, now I had to stop and cry a little tear because they're all so good. It's like but picking your pick favorite one. child. It is. So I again narrowed my focus to think about seasonless recipes, one I could and have called on any time of year. And I came up with three. Moist chocolate cake, no need peasant bread, and Prince Harry's caramel banana cake. Okay. Seriously? So hard. But then I decided to go with the recipe that just made sense in my life as an adopted Londoner. So my second season blue ribbon goes to Prince Harry's caramel banana cake. Yay! My love of a banana loaf or a cake is well documented on this podcast. And I loved this new variation from our Royal Treatment Month last May. It's easy, flavorful, exceptionally moist. It's baked on a tray, cut in fingers, and crowned unintended, with a delicious caramel brown butter frosting. And my family loves it and requests it, and it is gone in a flash. It's great for a crowd or a potluck, but that frosting also makes it fancy enough for dessert. Plus, it's a sweet reminder, if I needed one, of how much I enjoy living in England and how much this podcast serves as an incredible (laughs) audio diary of my time here. (laughs) And now I'm crying. Yay, Prince Harry! (laughs) Oh my gosh. And think about uh, how much his life has changed since we uh, picked that recipe and baked it. It's so much fun. It is almost like a little time capsule. I know. So anyway, very long way to say my favorite. What about you? Well, this is very interesting. We do have some in common that we both liked. I also put the homemade toffee from episode 56 on my list. And again, a big thank you to listener Jeannie who shared that recipe with us. Uh, The London Frog shortbread I made multiple times and in different variations. So that one was a big hit for me. But my top three were from episode 73.5, Such Sussex Success. It was the Lemony Sussex Pond Pudding. This was such a fun recipe for me before. I had never made a traditional British pudding. I had never made a pudding in my Instant Pot. And everyone knows my love of lemon. So this was a big home run for me. And I really loved it. And then in episode 85.5, the lemon crunch bars. Yes. (laughs) They were so light. They were so delicious. They came together so quickly. I've served them multiple times. I always get requests for more. In a way, the fact that I had two lemon desserts in my top three automatically kind of canceled. They canceled each other out. 
Oh, um, oh, interesting. Plus the fact that I did for my season one pick the lemon drizzle, and I didn't want to okay. be too predictable and pick okay. another lemon dessert for my season two blue ribbon. So interestingly enough, my number one pick, my season two blue ribbon, we made right around the same time as your pick, and that is from episode 75, the Kit Kat Candy Queen. <laughs> It's the chocolate biscuit cake from Royal Whoa. Chef Darren McGrady. Oh, my goodness. Darren McGrady, double blue ribbon because he's the sh- author of the banana cake as well. Oh, that's right. I didn't oh, even think Darren, about that. Darren, well done you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and it's funny because I think these two recipes couldn't be more different. Mm-hmm. Um, it, mm-hmm. my, mine, the chocolate biscuit cake, is a no-bake cake, which is something I'd never done before. And, of course, you use those rich tea biscuits and you use the chocolate. I think the first time I made it, I used more of a bittersweet. I've made it since then, and I've used um, a lighter, more semi-sweet chocolate, and I think that works better. Um, It's just so fun. It's different. I love the flavor of chocolate. My whole family likes desserts with crunch in them. I've mentioned that before. Um, And, of course, obviously based on the title of the episode, I still can't help but feel that this dessert is nothing like just a big old Kit Kat candy bar and I love a Kit Kat. (laughs) And how special do you feel eating what you know Queen Elizabeth if she came to your home would be delighted to find? I know well and you know she wouldn't even need to find it here because of course she travels with it because it's her special cake. (laughs) So I hope you start traveling with it in this next year. Perhaps you can uh, take it in your suitcase. Yeah maybe I need to look into some sort of cake travel tin. I'm not entirely (laughs) sure about that. I prefer usually to just wait for special occasions but it is I, I would have to say it is a reliable one because yeah. I've had yeah. times where I've made it last minute I've had times where I've kind of thrown it together I think I had one time where I didn't even have the recipe handy but I was like yeah I kind of remember what's in it yeah. and it just turns out it's, it's pretty yeah. foolproof Yes. Yeah. I think both of those recipes are. And it's funny that we chose two from the Royal Treatment Month. I know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wow. I think you're becoming an honorary Brit just as much as I am. Oh, I love it. Well, listeners, thank you so much for celebrating season two with us and voting on our Facebook page. We hope you had as much fun as we did exploring another year of delicious baked goodness. And in that spirit, we'd love to share a message with you from one of our very special listeners, Vicki from Indiana. This message warms our hearts so much. So listener Vicki was the very first preheater who did our bake-along with us, or at least the very first who let us know about it. <laughs> and she did the cranberry upside-down cake, which we featured in episode three, and then we talk about her on episode five. And she was our first listener who wasn't one of our friends or family. And it was so exciting to know that our show was reaching people outside of our own circle. And she was all the way across the country in Indiana. I still remember texting you when she popped up and saying, oh, Andrea, is Vicky one of your friends? And you said no. And I said, oh, my gosh, she's a stranger. And <laughs> both of us just erupted in cheers. We were so excited. It's true. And uh, definitely no longer a stranger. So take a listen. I think everyone you you will enjoy hearing from Vicki just as much as we did. Well, hello, ladies. This is Vicki from Southern Indiana. And Stefan and Andrea, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed listening to your podcast these last almost two years. As you know, 
I've been listening since podcast number one. I remember hearing about you before you even went on the air and couldn't wait for your episodes to begin. Baking is my passion. It's my stress release. And with 10 grandkids, when they come visit, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of baking. There's so many things that I want to, that have meant so much to me over these last two years that I don't even know where to begin. But I'm thankful that I was there in the beginning, and it was before you got really, really popular because the chances of me winning the Art of the Pie book that you gave away in the beginning would have been much higher had it been if you had as many members as you do now. That book is my pie bible, and pies are my passion as well. There's so many things that I've cooked too that you all baked that you all have suggested. I don't get to bake along as much as I like, but I've learned something from every podcast. One thing I will never bake again without is Baker's Joy. Had never heard of it, but I use it for my breads. I'm not a cake baker much, but I'm learning to become one. The lemon cake was to die for. I ended up actually doing a I practiced with it. I did modifications of it. I did it in tricolors, and I entered it in the state fair and won a blue ribbon. So I was I was happy with that. Didn't use the elderflower on that, but I have used it in uh, other things, and I've enjoyed that. First thing I ever did was the cranberry upside-down cake, and that was a big hit with my family. I added walnuts because I can't eat anything cranberry that's baked without walnuts, and it was delicious. One of the things I've probably done the most is the happy people fudge. I've done different modifications of that. I've done it with white chocolate. I've done it with peanut butter. It's easy. It's impressive. Uh, that one's been a big hit, especially with the grandkids. The one thing I wanted to also remind you of is the road trip. When, you, when you're ready to hit the road, make a trip down to southern Indiana and Kentucky. I live right across the river from Louisville. But there's Shaker Village. And remember, we were talking about the Shaker Lemon Pie. They have one there at the Shaker Village in Pleasantville, Kentucky. I wish you well. I hope you have thousands of podcasts. And I can call back in when you hit that 1,000 mark. Congratulations on your 100th, and happy baking, ladies. Take care. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the icing onto this 100th episode. Next week, we'll review the sweet potato pie homage to Patti LaBelle and introduce a hummingbird bundt cake from Southern Living that has us buzzing with excitement. And rounding things out for the month, you won't want to miss our book club review of Born Round by Frank Bruni. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at preheatedpod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe, and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening, and sweet dreams.
Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.